0: Welcome to The Original Doll. I am your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it. We go behind the scenes and learn all about these great songs with these great artists. And at the same time, we give back to charity. For more information, visit www.TheOriginalDoll.com or visit me on Instagram, the.Original.Doll. And a big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for your support because of you were able to keep this thing going. And as with every episode of the original doll, any audio recording, ripping, stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it to the webmaster. My name is James Rodriguez. This is the original doll. Everyone, I would like to welcome you to the original doll, James Rodriguez. Now, today, we have musician, songwriter, fabulous, fantastic producer, Nashville Songwriter Hall of Famer, Sharon Vaughn. Sharon, thank you so much for for being here today. I love this.
1: Oh, I'm so excited because you, my dear, are a, a true aficionado. You know, you talk to some people who say, oh, you wrote blah, 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 and that's the end of it. You know, they don't they don't they don't really appreciate songwriters and producers and and creators the way you do and so and they also do not contribute to the desperately needed charitable situation like you do thank you so so much for letting me be a part of this
0: thank you this is i've loved this because we're talking about music and talking about these love letters from fans of your music and helping out people and i think in the world it's just good to be able to create something that makes everyone feel good so just thank you for spending time with me and and listeners just giving you a heads up we are going to have multiple episodes with Sharon because her discography is insane immense it spans decades spans spans continents so have no fear if i don't get to your questions today everyone don't be upset we're going to get as many as we can today but we will have sharon back so Sharon, let's just rewind back. When did music become a part of your life? When did it become something that you could identify with?
1: Well, I mean, we're going way back on this rewind here because uh, my father was a singer, a player and a singer, but that was not his job. Um, He was the youngest of a bunch of children in his family, and it fell to him to kind of help support the family. And he actually was a brilliant student, brilliant mind, brilliant talent, and he had to drop out of school to work to help support his family. And um, and that's probably about the last noble thing he did. I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> <Derm>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only kidding. No, my, my father was like a Pied Piper and beautiful singer sounded like Vince sang like Vince Gill. But when, when I when uh, I was born, my mother kind of put down her four and a half size foot and um, said, you're staying home, Jack, you know, you're not going to run off to Nashville and be a star, which they, they did want him to come to the Opry. So Basically, that's how I started singing because it was in me. You know, it was just predestined that I become a singer. And that's what I started out being and uh, wrote my first song in the second grade because I didn't want to do a book report. And I think I put a, pile, a parrot on my shoulder and sang something about a pirate. I'm not sure. So that was my first foray into writing songs. But you know, I think I think uh, once you discover that you have that genetic propensity, um, you're doomed. And I, um, and, (laughs) and I just I've been a storyteller my whole life because as a little baby, I remember and sitting on my father's chest when he was in bed and they were getting ready to go to sleep, and my mother was growling at me but my father would always say tell me a story so mm. i was the storyteller instead of him and and it was um uh, it was a uh, it, it like i said i was predestined to be a storyteller and that's the thing i love the most because i love people so much they're so fascinating to me and um as I said to you when we first started this thing, I don't know a single person who doesn't have an interesting story to tell. And and I've learned more from taxi drivers and waiters and bartenders, particularly bartenders. No, <laughs> <laughs> but, but people who are complete strangers to me will open up and they'll tell their stories because people want to talk about themselves. And that's why I never have ever dried up after all mm. these years as a writer because there's so much information and um interesting storylines and if you just have the empathy enough to listen they will fill you up like the golden chalice every time
0: see what so. what I've what I've loved about your your music and and the songs is that there is true storytelling and we're going to get into yeah. some of those in a bit but i also want to point out to the listeners is you've had a career writing songs professionally and and releasing your 70s you know for, so you've had we have somebody here now you that was in the industry putting out music writing in the 70s 80s 90s and continued on that to yeah. me i can't think of many creators in general who have had a career This law. I mean, that's like basically six decades, seventies, eighties, nineties, and things like that. And yet, you've still been able to, been able to make your mark. Because the thing is, when I, when I remember hearing like Agnes release me, I'm like, oh, this has got to be this new, you know, pop writer, this and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, this woman also worked with Reba, and like, what is happening? And so, I think it's a testament of your talents that you've been able to for decades cross those genre lines. And I always say what's even more amazing is that you're a woman that is doing that. Because so many times we hear these stories in every industry where it's like, you know, women can work twice as hard and get like half of the recognition men do. And I just think I'm like, this is so amazing to be able to talk to somebody whose career has been going on this long and has projects coming out still. And it's still, I mean, as soon as we started talking, I'm like, I'm going to like you because your humor, my humor, we feel good. We feel good. But I think what's great is to learn that storytelling was kind of something that you knew early on and that you just take from each of those interactions we have with human beings. And I think oftentimes we overlook that. So then let me ask you this. At what point did you know it could just be from music to a job? where you can be getting paid and things like that. What was that turning point? Because many guests have said, yeah, I just thought it was something, you know, fun to do. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, there's a point where you realize, oh, I could make money off of this. What was that point for you?
1: Well, (laughs) I'm still waiting for that. Um, I, (laughs) no, I, um, it's really funny. I, When I first had my first hit, I was a background singer. I was the studio singer for many years. When I first, I was just, I'm going to back up a little farther and kind of explain this singing fossil that you have before you. I, um. (laughs) (laughs)
0: the listeners are like there's a lot of silence in this I'm like because I'm trying so hard not to laugh into the microphone we see each other on video and you can see me just dying right now sorry
1: so anyway um I have always characteristically done too many things at the same time all through high school I was doing a play I was doing Spanish class I was doing Coral things and I've always done too many things at the same time and for my own health and mental health but uh, so when I graduated from school uh, high school before I started college at night uh, when I started college at night I was working a 40-hour week at a radio station in Orlando Florida where I was born I was singing on Friday nights uh, jazz at the San Juan Hotel, downtown <laughs> Orlando, with the, with the gown and the, the on a clear day, you, rise. you know, I was doing that. And on Saturday nights, I was singing country in a duo at the Ponderosa Steakhouse Lounge. Yes, folks. So oh, nice. uh, I was doing all of these things at the same time working 40 hours a week and doing all this stuff well part of my job at the radio station was to liaise with these uh, artists who came in to do these shower of stars programs and there were like four or five major artists would be on the bill oh, really? at the uh, auditorium in Orlando and so uh, like a green kid I uh, walked up to Mel Tillis. Backstage at one of these th- events, as the radio rep that I was, hey Mel, listen, I tonight I'm singing at the Ponderosa Steakhouse Lounge. Why don't y'all just come on out after that and see me sing and We'll have us a real good time. Now that was crazy to do. I understand, but I'm up there singing my little heart out. And we literally had swinging doors on this place. It was a great little club off of the stick house. You know, you get fries with that. No, but the the, the swinging doors opened <laughs> and in walks Mel Tillis and his whole entire entourage. They stayed and played and sang with me until three o'clock the next morning. We had a ball, and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any compunction against singing harmony with Mel Tillis because I knew his songs and I love singing harmony with all my heart. So the next Monday when I went back for my thirty-dollar check, um, the phone rang, and this little snippy bartender. It was eleven o'clock in the morning, and I went just went to get my paycheck and. That's probably Mel Tillis calling to make you a star. Wow. So, Ponderosa Steakhouse Lounge, and Sharon, it's for you. It's Mel Tillis' stuff.
0: Oh, my goodness. I said, goodness. you
1: are so mean. And she said, no, I'm serious. So, I get on the phone, and Mel, after a while, gets it out. But, you know, how he stuttered. He said, I want you to come to Nashville and sing on this record with me. He said, you're the best harmony singer I ever heard in my life, and I want you to come up and sing with me. Gulp. What? And he said, do you have an 8 by 10 glossy? And I said, of course I do. Now, that could have been, in my world, I had no idea. That could have been a dog, black and white dog. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I mean, and then he asked me if I had a demo and I started to say of what you know but uh anyway I wound up sending him stuff and um came to Nashville he sent for me to come to Nashville but in the meantime I had met the Glazer brothers and Chuck Glazer said don't do it you're a and because I invited him home I was living at home to to come to my house after the thing. And I sat there and sang him songs in a breakfast booth in my house. And um, he said, Sharon, you're a songwriter. I went, I am? He said, yes, you are. So anyway, then I came to Nashville and I really can't remember why I turned it down, but I had two record deals. I had one with MGM through Mel and I had one at Columbia through Chuck Glazer. And I turned both of them down don't remember why i just blank out i don't i don't It's really weird but if you have a psychiatrist in your listening audience he could pro- she could probably <laughs> tell me why but anyway i got to nashville and i started singing uh i wound up singing which was the hardest gig to get in the background vocal world the studio world i sang mm-hmm. with the Jordanaires and the holiday sisters and the Nashville edition. And I was the lead singer in uh, the Leah Jane Singers. And we sang with everybody. And it was such a great school for me because where I had opted not to be an artist, I was in the studio probably five or six days a week, all day long. That was the heyday of the Nashville sound. Mm. And I learned about songs from the inside out from the bones out, I know how they were, I knew how they were structured, I knew what it took and where to ooh on the second verse and ah on the chorus, (laughs) you know, I knew all that stuff, because I worked in it every day, and then when it came time for me to have a record deal, I had, I did have a record deal, and it was great, and I loved it for about five minutes, and then I realized that it wasn't for me, and while I was recording, I wrote, Y'all Come Back Saloon. Then the Oaks recorded it. Boom, I have this monster hit on my hands. She played tambourine with a silver
0: jingle and she must have known.
1: And um, it's kind of uh, kind of autobiographical about my days. It says she plays tambourine with a silver jingle. I played tambourine and um, must have known the words to at least a million tunes. I knew jazz. I knew country. I knew everything but pig Latin. So, you know, it was just, it was really, it was really instrumental in me learning how to write songs. And then all of a sudden I'm a songwriter when I write Y'all Come Back Saloon and then I get this massive check and I and I want and I called and I was going to send it back because I thought they'd made a terrible mistake.
0: Because that and, would be uh, so, that would be something where I mean, this is late 70s ish and my question then is yeah because to your point if you were offered this record dealer that you weren't seeing any sort of large check like here here's a check so you're like uh I don't want to get in trouble for this I think you added something wrong can you please send it back
1: (laughs) exactly because I've never I had never made a cent on writing a song Mm -hmm. Uh, never really thought about it and you know what I think I think that's a very, very good thing because I have never, except for about three months when I wrote for an ad agency and they paid me a certain amount if I if I got a song, if I wrote for the agency and then they would give me a script and I'd write for the song. And that's the only time in my entire career I have ever, ever, ever written for money. Wow. I don't do it for money. Uh, I, I think that's that- true.
0: Well, and I think that that speaks in your your discography because I hear many times from other people, they're like, that song was specifically like, I needed money, I need the mortgage paid, I need the rent paid. And they're like, you can tell that that's not me at whether it was their finest or anything. But they're like, if you start doing that, then you lose and then you're trying to force something. I always talk about the muse where you let the muse be, you don't try to beat the muse. You know, you don't want to make the muse cry. And I think- What's interesting is hearing this, and I think maybe that's something that the listeners can pay attention to is you've had a career where you've done it for the sake of doing it, that it wasn't this money, this money. And who knows, maybe if you did, you would not have had, you know what I mean? Because I feel like there's a point where people just get burnt out when they just keep trying to chase that next check. Then when it doesn't happen, then it's like everything is broken, where if you're, you you know, you have nothing to lose sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, here you are, like, here's another story. Boom, here's another story. And I just think it's funny. It's like, imagine this. Is, you're like, oh, I wrote that song and here's the check. Wait, what? <laughs> I think that there's there's too many, you know, place numbers on this thing. Please send it back. So can I ask you this then? We just talked about you having your own music and everything out. How far? Because you had like three or four singles that that charted for yourself. Right how much of an album then was created or how many songs were you creating specific to kind of your own what would be let's say your album do you recall that
1: not not very many i think i only wrote two or three of for myself
0: and so those yeah, were all and, then released
1: yeah but they weren't they weren't hits and and that was not my focus um mm-hmm. i wrote y'all come back saloon because i went in Chattanooga I went to a little cafe it's the it's the listening thing again but I walked in and the name of the place was y'all come back in and I thought I love that and so it was one of those little cafes where the where the booth's all slant down to the back and you hold on for dear life. So you don't slide into a corner, (laughs) you know, but it, it, it's just when it was, but it was intoxicating to me, this place. And then I, then I included my own experiences. Um, I'm the girl in the, in singing to cowboy, you know, and, um, and I think basically whether it's, DNA flaking off or whatever but every song that i really like that i write has a little thumbprint a fingerprint uh, because i do not ever 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 want to be disingenuous you know i mean i know you can't wait until you experience something to write about it because i certainly mm-hmm. have never been in a flop house like the thing i imagined in heroes and i've never picked up a hooker in my life believe it or not <laughs> and, but i but i can write a
0: <laughs> Hopping out for a quick second to let you know you can join me on Patreon. Just go to www.theoriginaldoll.com A pop-up will come up. And if with your donations we're able to keep this show going and you'll be able to get some kind of exclusive content, stuff that was cut from the show and further information. Join it, www.theoriginaldoll.com And don't forget you could rate this on your preferred streaming platform. Now back to the show.
1: But again, write about it with authenticity because I know that person in that song.
0: Mm. I
1: know that face. I know that that cowboy lying on the bed in, in, in my heroes have always been cowboys. I see him as clearly as a bell. I knew he had his, was lying on this bed with his boots crossed at the ankles. And I knew he had mud on the bottom of his boots and I knew what the room looked like. And (laughs) clearly I've never experienced that, but, but if you, if you are, Intimate with your characters, you'll truly represent them instead of being a fraud.
0: See, this is I think that the listeners, and as as you know, a fan of your music, too, it's like this is hitting so many things, making me go, aha. Like it's those moments where you're like, I I get it now. Because I feel like, yes, you've never done A, B, and C, but. You're writing that genuine perspective, that genuine, like there's that genuine nature underneath it. And I think that that's also what allows us as as listeners of your music to feel welcome into receiving that song. Because I always say so many songs come to you at different times. And the the question that I actually had with uh, My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys is Keith from Nashville? Nashville said, James, imagine my surprise when you sent out an email with links and songs, and a song that I listened to all the time with my pops was My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys. That was included in your list. With your show, I learned to check out CD booklets for songs and found out that the same songwriter of that did a song by Anastasia. Sharon Vaughn must be so talented to have songs recorded by people in pop world and country world. Can you ask how My Heroes was written? It seems so genuine and true to her. And can you talk about how Willie Nelson covered it a year or two later? Does Sharon ever find out if her song is going to be covered by another artist or is that something done through labels and publishing? That's from Keith from Nashville.
1: That's a great question, the way he asked it. Well, first of all, um, the way Heroes got cut was maybe my favorite story of my entire career because um i was working in the sessions and i had just gotten my record deal and my and i was going between sessions because i was on the road all day long every day but between sessions i ran over to my producer's office and probably being quite a pest but but he said why don't you just go home? And he said, I'm getting ready to record Bobby Bear on a, on a concept album called Lullabies, Legends and Lies. And uh, why don't you go home and write me a cowboy song? And I went, okay. <laughs> so I went home and, and wrote Heroes in 17 minutes. I remember it very well because I'm a clock watcher. And I wrote that song in 17 minutes. It was a gusher. I call it It just, it just, it was as clear to, it was like a little movie and basically all I had to do is transcribe it because those were born and raised on a ranch Hmm. and um, which had precious little to do with this song. But I wrote this song and I took it back to him and I played it for him. He said, Jesus, Sharon, he said, you've written a standard. And I went, is that good? I don't know what a standard is.
0: You're like, it's the same. <laughs> is that the same as an eight by ten glossy?
1: Is that an eight by ten glossy <laughs> dog? Um or a standard poodle dog. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anything. I cannot even begin to stress too much how green I have been at different points in my career. But anyway, he said, yes yeah, Sharon, that's a really, really good thing. I'm gonna play it for bear this afternoon. Well, a couple hours later, he played it for Bobby Bear and he passed on it. He said, Hmm. come on, Bear, (laughs) are you serious? Because it was me just singing, you know. So anyway, um, he told me that and I went, okay. So I just picked up my my little reel-to-reel and I thought, hmm, at the same time he gave me my reel-to-reel back I got my 45 release of my song that I had written by W. Jennings and Troy Seals. It's called Back in the Country or You and Me and Something. Anyway, I thought, okay, W. Jennings, that's Waylon. So I'm going to go play it for Waylon. So Waylon was right down the street. So I didn't know him from Adam's Tomcat. But anyway, I... I walked in and Hazel Smith, the famous journalist, was not a journalist at that point, but she was the receptionist. And I, as a little side note, during this time, am I talking too much?
0: No, not at all. This is amazing.
1: At this time, I was doing local television. I was the Ray Bats girl. What's that? I sang the little jingle (laughs) and I was on everybody's television from the news to sign off every night everybody in the broadcast area knew who i I was i was the ray bats girl and um so i walked into Whalen's office and hazel punched the talk back and she said waylon the ray bats girl is here to see you So unbeknownst to me, the Waylon had a crush on the Ray Bats girl. Okay. Ooh. So I just, she said, go on back. And I went back there and there's Waylon in this big black Naugahyde chair, you know, with duct tape on it, you know, it was just, and that long, greasy hair down to his shoulders. And, and he turned around in that chair and he said, come on in Ray Bats girl. And I went, said the spider to the fly. You know, that's what I felt like. <laughs> and so I said, Hi, I'm at my name is Sharon Vaughn. And I just recorded your song, you and me. And and I'm I'm gonna would you like to hear it? I I brought it for you to hear. You're the first person who's gonna hear it. And it was. And he played it all the way through and he stopped it. He said, turn around in that big old chair. He said, That's nice, Sharon. He said, But I didn't write it. Oh, so I said. Duh. He said, "That's Will Jennings."
0: Oh no! <laughs> oh no! As
1: in Titanic, right?
0: <laughs>
1: My heart goes on. So anyway, um, I just at that moment, it's it's that reptilian brainstem response. It's fight or flight, you know. So I went, "Okay, sit." Stay there one minute. I've had dogs all my life. So obviously I'm telling and Jennings to sit. And I went <laughs> running out past Hazel Smith. And she goes like this. And then I went to my car and got my reel to reel, went right past, <laughs> past her again. And I threw that thing across his desk. And I said, I wrote this this afternoon just for you. So he puts it on. Feeling sorry for the poor little Ray Bats girl, you know. And he plays it, and he's he played the first chorus, and he stopped it. And he said, uh, who wrote this song? I said, I did. Uh-huh. Rolls it back again. Talk about your girl situation here, woman thing. He played it again through the... F- for the first and second verses. Stopped it again. Turned around. I want to know who wrote this goddamn song. I did. Uh-huh. He did the same thing again, turned around. I want to know who wrote this song. That ticked old Swamp Girl off. And I said, <laughs> I said, I did, and I went to reach for it. To take it back and you know he rolled it back played it again rolled it back played it again rolled it back played it again without a word to me picked up the phone on his desk and he called he called Jack Clement in Beaumont Texas Cowboy Clement he said Colonel he called him Colonel not he's the only one who ever did he said Colonel I want you to get to Nashville we got us a song to record
0: tonight Oh my goodness.
1: They recorded it that night. And that was the beginning of many things. That's a
0: true story. This is so insane that here here you are you're like, "Oh, Waylon Jennings, this is W Jennings, you know, this is this is that's not my song, lady." And then him going, "Wait, who wrote this? But who wrote this song?" And I could only imagine you're like I would think like I'd be like, oh my god, I just mixed up who the person was, so I'm not exactly on like the a, a good approach with them. And then you're like, here's my song. Wait, stay, sit, calm, pop. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then it happened so quickly. But I think that that is the first time I ever heard that song. I remember thinking, this has got to be like I think I think Waylon Jennings' version was the first one that I heard. I'm like, oh, this has got to be. His he wrote the song. It's because it was one of those that like you could feel it, and that was my surprise because I was like, maybe it's somebody named Von Sharon. Like maybe you know, because the whole time I was thinking I was like, is that his (laughs) other name? Because I was thinking he had to have written this because it so fit who Jennings was to me in his. It didn't feel so. It didn't feel out of place, and just Mm -hmm. to hear this going. This is it could have gone so many different ways at any point. You know, the universe, she was ready to go. Oh, Calm down. We got this covered. So then let me ask you, at what point if he's like, we're going to record this now, at what point was he like, we're going to release it? Was this we're getting this recorded? We want this out ASAP kind of thing? Or was it you're waiting a few months before anything happened with it?
1: Well, you know, it's like the thing with the music business is, you know, if if you've written a song, uh, that's just the first uh, jump out of the chute, mm-hmm. you know, because after that, uh, hate to use a racing <laughs> analogy, but oh, well. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, you you just don't really know. And I remember. I was singing, I was working, doing a session at RCA and the head of promotion as actually my mother was with me and, and the head of promotion, Paul Randall came running out. He saw me because I, I knew everybody in town, you know, you know, everybody in the session world. Anyway, Paul came running out, waving this album in the air. Look what I have! Look what I have! Look what I have! And it was cut one, side one, on the out wanted the Outlaws album, which was the first million selling album in country music history. And there, and he's waving it through the air, and I'm going, I was trying not to pass out, <laughs> but I still didn't know how impactful. Mm. That song would be not only on my life, because it completely changed my life, but other people's lives. I mean, still after all this time, you know, I'm a performer still, and I'll sing this song and people sing every word with me. And they'll sit there with tears on their faces. You know, it's just you just don't know. You just don't know.
0: There was somebody named Darcy from Louisville who said one of the best lyrics ever written was the one about fading youth, the words youth. It's all like chicken scratch on this thing. When you, when I, as a listener, because you were the creative behind it, when I hear those lyrics and everything, it just, it hits. And I think that it hits everyone. I think no matter what, it's, I always took it as like... Nobody I knew was a cowboy, but in my mind, it just meant this super, there was always this kind of superhero. There was always this person that you looked up to and you look back and go, wait, what do, would I regret this? Do you know what I mean? And so for me, not being anywhere near a cowboy, not until later in my life when I met my first boyfriend who was a cowboy, that was a different story. But I just think about those lyrics. Well, and those cowboys,
1: are so- bitch every time, I'll tell you. <laughs> But the line is picking up hookers instead of my pen. I let the words of my words of youth my
0: youth fade away. away. Oh, you could go.
1: I, I was just going to say um, that that character could have been anyone. He could have been anything. He could have been. He could have been a, a chemical engineer. He could have been a doctor. He could have been uh, somebody in prison. He could have been anybody who had a life of regret that he was lying down and trying to sleep with. Mm -hmm. It could have been anybody, but it, but the fact is I was born and raised on a ranch, a ranchette, I call it because it was only 10 acres, but, but still, you know, those guys do hold a mystique. The, the cowboys do. They still do for me. And I've written a lot of cowboy songs Um, because there's something, they're almost frozen in time. They're like a fly that gets caught in the amber. You know, they're, they're preserved for all time, but you don't even know if their lives were small, if their lives were big and you don't even care.
0: My heroes have always been cowboys,
1: and they still are, it seems, sadly in search of one step in back of themselves and the slow motion. They still do for me. And I've written a lot of cowboy songs um, because there's something they're almost frozen in time. They're like a fly that gets caught in the amber. You know, they're, they're preserved for all time. But you don't even know if their lives were small, if their lives were big and you don't even care.
0: How did that feel then to go, OK, here's this version of it. And then you know, yeah. a few years later, Willie Nelson comes in and does that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because this is not somebody covering a song that is a 15-year-old standard. or tw- This was in a matter of like two or three years that right. this song came out. So how did that come to be? Because you're taking an iconic song from an iconic artist, then going, now there's another iconic, because these were big heads of country and still are, you know, revered high regards in, in country music. So how did the Willie Nelson thing come about? Especially what I feel like is so quickly in the grand scheme of things. So quickly, how did that come
1: about? You're right. I have no idea. I, I mean, I do not know. I'm sure that Willie heard it and I haven't ever asked him this. He either heard it on the Outlaws album, which was. I mean, it was so it was so iconic. Um, He either heard it on that or Waylon called him. I'll tell you what about Waylon Jennings. He was a lovely, generous, probably very dangerous person, but he was generous and kind to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm sure he wanted heroes to be as big as it possibly could and but i didn't know anything about this and then somebody said you need to go to the movies and see this i didn't even go to, i didn't i wasn't even aware of the of that i should have been at the movie premiere or any of that i missed it all so i'm sitting in the movie theater and the opening song on that movie is heroes and it tells the whole story of the Robert Redford character in that, that first three and a half minutes, and then when they release the horse, they play again. So it's full length twice in that. And you know that score was nominated for, or won the Oscar, the film score did.
0: Everything, but I up, didn't know wow. it. And
1: I'm sitting in that movie, and I'm going, oh, it was like medic, you know.
0: Well, and, and and for the listeners, if you don't know, that was like Jane Fonda, uh, Robert Redford, and once the again, yeah, and these two iconic actors are in this thing. So the world was watching this movie, and here you are like, da-da-da-da-da, that's my song, and that's my song again. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, it's just, it, it's it's amazing, but it's also a testament of you being able to be a storyteller that is able to be taken through so many different variations and things like that, and honestly, it was like I thought and I felt, and and listeners, you know, I'm going to be sending out links on how to buy these these songs and everything. Um, I thought, how can you top that? How can somebody top Waylon Jennings? And here's Willie Willie Nelson. And for me, they stand on their own individually if that makes any sense it did not feel like I'm really glad you said
1: that I'm really glad you said that because they're apples and oranges Wayland's is so stripped down and so raw and he basically didn't even have time to learn that song before he recorded it (laughs) and that you know that's a gift from the gods you know that happened to me one other time on a number one song maybe we'll talk about and that's Randy Travis's Out of My Bones.
0: We have questions about that. I'll do what I have to do. Bury your jacket in my backyard. tear your picture in my shoe. And keep walking till the hurting stops. Keep walking till my temperature drops. Keep walking till the fever so why don't we, why don't we just jump right to that? Tell the story and I'll give it. And these are a couple of compliments that you got for it. But go ahead. Let's just go right okay. into that. This is even yeah. easier.
1: <laughs> I like to do your job for you there, James. Thank no, you so I, much. You are so great. By the way, you are so great. I, I just love this. You know, I, I get for some bizarre reason, I get a lot of requests for interviews, but this is There's something warm and close about this. And I appreciate you so much. I just wanted to say that.
0: I I appreciate you spending time and, and honestly, just opening up about this. And the great thing is you're allowing other listeners to hear about maybe these songs that they never heard before. And I never shame anyone. I go, it's okay. You're meant to find a song when you're meant to find the song. So a lot of these listeners might be like, wait, I knew this song, but about this song. And the amount of love that you have out there worldwide, the show, fortunately enough, is in almost 70 countries worldwide. And so all the listeners, all these things are from all over the place. And it's because it's a testament of your work, the music you've put out, the global reach that you've had. So just thank you for for chatting me out with the, this because I, I truly appreciate it. because I'm a fan of yours you. and a fan of music. So thank you for doing this.
1: Thank you. Um, I, I wrote uh, out of my bones with uh, Gary Burr and Robin Lerner, and Robin wrote "This Kiss," among other wonderful things. And uh, she's my kind of rain. She, he wrote for Tim, um, and um, and Gary Burr's written. Gosh, I don't. He's a Hall of Fame songwriter too, and one of my dearest friends, and.
0: Juice and Newton, anyway, Patty he, Loveless, so many. Oh,
1: on and on and on and on. <laughs> and um he's just and he's so gifted as an instrumentalist and as a singer. And I love writing with him because I love singing with him. Uh, because he and I sing together quite a bit. And and it's 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 a to me, it's a beautiful thing. But anyway, um, we wrote this song, finished it, called in the song plugger Stephanie uh at MCA. And she took it over to Allison Jones that afternoon, and then Stephanie did. Allison put it on hold, and then it was cut like within a week with James, Stroud, for by James Stroud. and it what it was the resurrection song for. Um, you know, for he had had a, a run, a long run, and then. Um, then out of my bones came out, and it was a big number one song. So Randy was uh, very, very grateful, and and we had a number one party in the middle of August. And that boy did not sweat a bit. I think he's an android. <laughs> he did not have even a touch of moisture on his forehead. <laughs> and I'm and I'm liquefying, you know. And it was, but he he's so. He's so talented and and uh, such a nice guy and and anyway, but that was a quick turnaround. Really, really, I have had a lot of those little odd circumstantial moments in my career.
0: And this is this is the best part about this is hearing those things because oftentimes the listeners have reached out to me and said, "James, I assumed somebody would be like, oh, I'm going to write a song called." you know, beluga whale today. And then it gets cut by artist A and then gets released the next day and they get paid that day. And so when I've been able to talk to people like, oh, so some of these can take a long time. Some could be cut at the last minute, like removed from something. Others, people are like, uh, I got a phone call or an email and I was on vacation when it came back. The song was on the radio. Like there are times where they're like, I forgot about that song because you're already onto the next song because I yeah. think many people don't realize a lot of times songwriters are like, you're in, you're good. Great. Okay. Now, you know, the production side and r guy, whoever you are, you do your thing. And then you're already right. moving on to the next one. Um, we actually had TJ from Alaska who said, I just want to say thank you so much, Sharon. Out of My Bones is the first song that ever made me feel like somebody understood the pain and just the things I was going through. It was the first time that I felt seen. So just thank you so much for that.
1: Oh, see, isn't that wonderful? That makes me feel so good because that's an odd song. Mhm. Bury your jacket in my backyard. Okay, that's a little voodoo stuff going on there, which I love and that was <laughs> that was Robin was talking about that and I just jumped all over it because I thought that was fantastic and then you know, you wear picture in the shoe until the face wears off you know it was all bizarre stuff but it was just it just felt so good to write that song and then when randy cut it you know that's the that's the mona lisa on your wall you know but another you talk about time uh taking time mm -hmm. there's another song that was a one of the to me, one of my favorite songs ever, and it's it's uh, the Jimmy Buffett song,
0: the duet with uh, Martina McBride. Yeah, trip, trip around. around
1: some. Okay, Trip Around the Sun, when they recorded Trip it, uh, the sun. they finally got around to recording it when Buffett did. It was, had been written 13 years. It was 13 years old. And that's the beauty of, of writing a song that is ageless. And Al Anderson and Stephen Bruton and I wrote that song. I'd never even met Stephen Bruton. And I flew to Austin, Texas, because Al Anderson is one of my dearest, dearest, dearest friends. And he and I have had a lot of success together. We wrote Powerful Thing with, with Trisha, But anyway, um, Al called me. And he says, Sharoni, I want you to come to Austin. We're going to write with with Bruton I said okay (laughs) sure why not so anyway um we wrote two songs that day and out of my bones I mean um trip around the sun was one and another one was the other one was recorded by Don Williams later but it's incredible how that particular song the reason it's so special to me is because when I'm teaching songwriting, I say, listen, never, never, never underestimate the power of a three-minute vehicle that you have in your control, because people listen to those songs. They take them to heart, Mm -hmm. and um, Al and I were performing on, and Steve was too, on Delbert McClinton's sandy beaches cruise every year he has a cruise ship full of 3500 of his closest fans and a bunch of us uh songwriters and and performers will be on the, the ship and and um al says sharoni he said you gotta listen to this he said this lady slipped a note under my door and it said um uh, my name is such and such and i lost my husband last year And a couple months ago, I was on the freeway in Texas, driving way, way too fast, looking for an embankment to end it all. She said, trip around the sun, came on the radio. Those lyrics hit me so hard. I pulled over to the side of the road, cried for an hour, turned around and came home. And there she was on that ship. The and then the ne- next year she came back having become a grief counselor wow. and she brought her husband's ashes and Al and I buried his ashes at sea in the bottom of the ship, opened the doors and sang trip around the sun. Oh my goodness. Now Never, if you're a songwriter or you have any aspirations to be one, never, ever let anybody put you down and say that yours is not a noble craft. Because trust me, it, is.
0: it it's. is. I've seen from all these people the impact that these songs from people have had. That music can make you feel happy, sad, hopeful, it could just make you feel, and I go. There are times where it's like a song just hits you at that right moment, and it
1: can save your life.
0: Exactly, and I think that that's because I feel like in so many, you know, I'm doing this for years and years now, is that so many things that I've come across are where people felt seen, where they feel like, oh wait, I, I get somebody. somebody. Can see me. Yep, <laughs> and that's why it's like I wanted to do this where it's like to thank you know all these people the amount of people that I've had that have written about they use these songs for you know their medical treatments or just to keep them boosted or they remember a dear friend of theirs it's like these songs are created and have such an impact they're an emotion mover and I get you know annoyed when People like, music, it's not a real thing. It's not a talent. It's not something you can And it's like, you've never heard a song then. Because no matter who you are, every listener on here has heard a song that hit them at the moment. They're like, oh, man, I I feel seen. I feel it. Or I, this gets me energized. This gets me up. And, and I think that that's the great part about the storytelling that you do, is that you allow listeners to come at their time when they need it that there are people that have been messaging just saying thank you because it's this song reminds me of this or that and it's not the same song all across the board you've had a career in which you've made people feel for decades and for different reasons and everything now i'm just waiting for like a cardi b song with you to come out like very soon like i feel like it's just it's like you can make it work but I think that these questions of these comments and these experiences people have are because you keep it genuine in the creation of this music. You know, when you talk about trip around this, like, you know, it's a happy birthday and, you know, you try to hold on tight while the world is kind of still spinning around and things like that. And, you know and everyone don't worry I'm gonna be playing music in the background because I try not to sing I cannot sing at all so I'm like but they're the the lyrics they 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 get to me it's like every day is like a revolution kind of thing you know and I fight not singing the songs because I want listeners to listen to you and not to my terrible terrible voice but it's those lyrics so listeners check that song out and this is what's amazing is, we're going to keep going through some more questions because earlier we mentioned the Waylon Jennings song and the connection to that, to Keith in Nashville, was Anastasia. And we actually had Cleo from Venezuela said, James, if you interview Sharon Vaughn, can you please ask how she came up with lyrics for Stamina by Anastasia? It is a good song. Help me during my sadness of breakup. I listened to the song. Made me feel better. I needed stamina to get through this, and the song spoke to me. Did she write the song for Anastasia? Did she make other songs for Anastasia? Thank you for making the song for me.
1: A little longer.
0: Did she write the song for Anastasia? Did she make other songs for Anastasia? Thank you for making the song for me.
1: Oh, Cleo in Venezuela. Great. Thank you, Cleo. Um, did not write the song for Anastasia. Um, wrote the song with a Swedish writer. Um, very, very talented writer. And... Um, And I write so many, and this was one that uh, the track, the audio track was sent to me. It was, and I wrote all the words. And and that's one of those that the track spoke to me. And music, music kind of, it can tell you what it wants to be. Heroes and Y'all Come Back Saloon, a lot of other songs I've written by myself melodically and lyrically. But now I do a lot of writing, top-line lyric writer stuff. Um, And I write songs for people in all over the world. And it's kind of funny because sometimes they will write, I call them nonsense lyrics, just to give you the idea of the pacing of the syllables. But it's hysterical to hear what sometimes the subconscious mind comes up with. That they don't even know what they're saying because they don't speak English. A lot of these people, Mm -hmm. but they'll come up with they'll come up with English nonsense words. And I listen because I do believe and it sounds woo woo foo foo. I know, but I do believe that melodies. Speak themselves and then lyrics are there and this is more so in pop music Mm -hmm. but but lyrics um lyrics are almost dictated by the melody and in country music it's the other way around Mm. the story Mm. is the featured artist and in pop music the tracks are the featured artists
0: in my opinion to your point I remember years ago Sia was playing like diamonds she's like this is the way it started out with and it's just these mumble things and then she's like and this was 10 minutes later and then vowels are being created then from there words are being created and then you hear her go oh wait this makes sense now this is and she goes you just listened to it and this is what I love like a lot of the, the 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 songwriters that I've talked to have been like You get the melody and you just go and just start mumbling and go and like let that song come through you. But to your point, it's always pop music where it's like, okay, the producer does it. And I actually had a question then is it was for because we were talking about melody and things like that. Francie from Canada had a question about Too Late for Hallelujah Boy Zone. Francie from Canada said, James, if you interviewed the fabulous Sharon Vaughn, she is beyond one of my favorite songwriters ever. James, if you can ask, when she makes a song for a boy band and there are lots of singers, who helps decide harmonies? I've learned on your show, Melody is part of the songwriting process. and wanted to ask who would be the person that would sing high, who would be the person that sings low, who decides that? And is it hard when you write for a group than when you write for one person? James, I don't know if you know this or not, but Sharon has worked with Kenny Rogers and Laura Fabian. She is so fabulous and talented. She works with the biggest names in country, biggest Belgian singer, big Swedish songs, big Swedish voices. She does it all. Thank you for spotlighting her and other singers because I love their music so much. Tell her thank you and give her a big hug. Thank you. So Aww, that is Francie from Canada. Great.
1: Francie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, for, you. You are a real true music lover, I can tell. Too late for Hallelujah. I wrote with Don and Carl Falk. Carl Falk, you know, directed, I mean, uh, produced One Direction. And uh, so Carl is a master musician. And we, but we wrote the melody and the lyrics at the same time in his studio. And, and that was, and it's, it's another odd song because it has a very dark side to it. It's too late for hallelujah. You know, it's just, don't come around here being all contrite now. That's basically what that, that is saying.
0: How cold you feel right now, you know. you need.
1: but um but writing for a boy band you do know if if they tell you they're going to to record it i write for a lot of boy bands uh, because i write a lot in copenhagen and um and i write with fabulous fabulous artists there but some of the bands Are involved in the writing process now that gets to be like herding cats because (laughs) because one guy will be the stronger writer of the group and the others kind of wander around and then once in a while they say something that just jars you that's so wonderful or they say nothing at all but but when I'm working with a flock of people like that doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen sometimes. You always have to listen, have to listen, have to listen, because um, I always, always divide everything equally. If mm-hmm. one of the members walks through and gets, gives, gives me a cup of coffee, he gets that portion of the song you know, that's just the way I work. I don't, that's not even under discussion with me. What's fair is fair, you know, because you can't put, you can't put a percentage on an intangible event. Like if someone says one word, it could, it could turn the whole thing on its head. So you can't, you can't put a percentage like, I'm sorry, I said 45 words, and therefore I get 55%. And that guy over there didn't do anything, but he got three percent. You don't do that. I don't do that ever, ever, ever. A lot of people do, but I don't do it. Because I think that you can't you can't determine what that contribution actually was. Mm. So um, but the bands know within among themselves who the stronger lead singer is who's the strongest harmony singer I write with Shane Phelan I don't know if you know who that is there are a lot of great boy bands who are better than you think they are
0: that as writers well that is something that has come up with people talking about one direction and things like that and even even JC and Justin Timberlake from NSYNC where they said you know you don't realize, like, people want to just assume it's pop music, it's easy, you, you know, they're just up there to look this part, but so many of them are musicians, and I look and I go, like, a group like One Direction, I love how they all kind of went and did their own thing, and I mean, Harry Styles has become beyond what I ever thought but I would have thought a boy band would have become, do you know what I mean? But it's, it's oh, amazing. Absolutely. And I, the, another question about the, the Boyzone one was uh, Nicholas from Ireland said, James, I love Boyzone and I've been buying all their albums on iTunes from the links you sent out. I love Too Late for Hallelujah. Can you ask the songwriter producer, was the song created before or after Stephen Gately's alt untimely passing? And how did she find out it would be recorded and released again two years later by another group?
1: It was recorded before.
0: Hopping out for a quick second for those who might not know, Boyzone was an Irish boy band and they had huge success, so much so that many of their studio albums went to number one and they had a crazy record-breaking 16 consecutive singles enter the top five in the UK. Now, one of the code lead singers, Stephen Gately, passed unexpectedly at the age of 33 in October of 2009. Now, this album would be released March of 2010. So we do know that, and they made reference to this previously is this album featured some of the songs with Gately's voice. Now, the thing I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about as Stephen Gately came out publicly in 1999 and we knew what the world was like back in 1999. Not as accepting as we are today, but a lot more accepting than it was, let's say 1995. But when Stephen Gately unexpectedly died in Majorca in in, October of 2009, many people were saying right away, oh, it was a drug overdose. Oh, there were drugs involved, hard partying, orgies, all sorts of things that they were talking about that I think that if Stephen Gately were a straight man, none of those things would have been said. So I just wanted to point that out that not long after he passed, the media, the presses were going insane with all these theories just to come to find out after all this testing that he died of natural causes for a congenital heart defect. His voice is truly one of the great voices in pop music. And I suggest you go through Boyzone's albums and take a listen to it. One of my favorite songs is a song called no matter what, but we're going to get back to the show.
1: And you know, I have another, I have another death story like that too. Um, the song um, "Till a Tear Becomes a Rose" that was recorded by Lori Morgan and Keith Whitley. Keith Whitley is arguably was one of the best country singers who ever lived, and um, but it was so crazy he recorded the song "Till a Tear Becomes a Rose" um, for RCA, and then there was some kind of kerfuffle with the production with Blake Mevis, um, who was his producer. And they dropped the album. I mean, they didn't release the album. And then a year, and then, of course, Keith Whitley died from an alcohol overdose. He's he married was to Lloyd Young. Of- yeah,
0: he was yeah, young 36
1: too. Or something. Yeah. So anyway, um, exactly one year to the day of his death, Lori took the song that Keith recorded and put her vocal on it and made it a duet, and put Ricky Skaggs on it as well. So, um, I don't think so I anyway, that. it's this beautiful duet. And they called me at the studio, I was doing demos, and they called me said, Sharon, you want to come hear this? And I went, oh my gosh, yes. So I went over and Garth Fundus was the producer, and he is the producer, and he played it for me. And I was so dumbstruck, I, I just couldn't believe it. Well, it wound up winning um, Vocal Event of the Year. But one year to the day of his death is when I heard it. So, I mean, please, more drama, (laughs) you know, but it it was so touching. And when you, when you know the backstory on Keith and Lori and you hear that song in, in that situation, in that environment, emotional environment, it's hard to listen to.
0: It's one of those, I I remember he died young, because at first I was like, wait, I remember he died young, but that's one of those things I assumed, and especially because that was like 89, 90, let's say around, or, you know, early 90s around that time. And I remember I was helping my mom out, she was, you know, managing a record store. And I remember hearing all these songs, because the customers would come in and say, I just saw this, or I just heard this. And so A lot of times that's how I found out music in general, because it was everyone. And it was people wanted the 45s and things like that, because they had like bars with jukeboxes and stuff like that. Where So for me, it was kind of cool to be like, yes, your copy of Prince and your copy of, you know, Garth Brooks came in and here's your 45s. I think I was so young that I also thought, well, if this person is, if the song is new, this person is still alive, clearly, because I didn't, but I was like, eight or nine or whatever around that time. You and I don't remember think thinking, that
1: stuff like that. Oh no. yeah. yeah. And,
0: and we didn't have access to the internet access to information right away. There are exactly. many songwriters and producers and artists where I'm like, whatever happened to them? And I look it up and it's like, I didn't know that they, you know what I mean? And it, it, it's just so bizarre, but mm-hmm. let me, let me ask you this then at what point would you create a song and then just go, it's been on hold too long with artist A. you know, I think it would be a better fit for artist B. Is there a point where you would be like, you know what, we're not going anywhere with it? Or is it, hey, if I give it to artist A, they have it until they release it or it never gets released.
1: That's a tricky thing. um, Because just about the time you give up and you want to pull the song, they'll go in and cut it. an awkward situation happened to me with a song that was a hit on um, uh, Mark.
0: Mark Chestnut?
1: Yes, Mark Chestnut. Uh, and that's Broken Promised Land. Promised
0: Broken
1: land. Okay, Broken Promised Land was recorded by, it, he, he had, Mark recorded it first, I think, and then simultaneously, John Schneider and Waylon Jennings recorded it. So we had three different recordings of the same song. And I was unfortunate enough to have to ride up in an elevator with John Schneider when they had just told him that Mark Chestnut had recorded this song. and Waylon had. and I he was like Mr. Thundercloud because I you know, I had to tell him who I was. I had to introduce myself, but it was painful because he was very unhappy with me. And I wasn't the one who did it, but still, you know, with a first stop.
0: (laughs) Well, I actually have a question kind of related to this, because this is something that's come up a lot. And I think since you're an educator of music, too, and since you, you know, you collaborate, I have a question. How would you handle a situation in which maybe you didn't know that these songs were being released, you know, like separately? And then somebody's like, oh, but the producer knew that that was happening. How do you handle a, a situation like that as a songwriter that comes in? How do you deal it's with simple.
1: like. It's simple. I beg for mercy. <laughs> I, just, I, I plead ignorant and beg for mercy.
0: <laughs> that's just... I have a gift card to Ponderosa. Do you want to come and hang? <laughs>
1: that's right. Y'all come on down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is amazing. Cause that's one of those, that's one of those questions because throughout your career you've had multiple people cover songs but never where it's like this is all being done at the same time and I know and I've had people that are like can you ask about like a situation like how do you handle that and and it's so it's so crazy because I remind people the music industry is still an industry it's still a business not every person is great there's a lot of stuff you we hear these crazy stories about things happening and it's like how do you make sure that you keep the creativity up and your your motivation going, and not get so brought down by any of that? You know what I mean. That extra stress that's oh, not yeah. your fault, the, ultimately.
1: Yeah, the worst thing about the music business is the business part of it. Um, and and it's it's really and truly hard. Um, not hard. It's it's imperative that you don't become jaded because if you become jaded and it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. And if you write for money, um, then you're going to wind up like an old stick stuck in the ground and you're not going to grow anything and you're not going to bloom and you're not going to be worthy of your time on earth. You know, I, You just can't get jaded. You can't do it because, you know, first of all, writing a song is like pulling something out of the ether. You know, there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. There's nothing there in my air, in my house that I can say, oh, I'll take that for the first verse. And I'll, I think I'll take you for the second verse, there's none of that. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle. And I hate to be (laughs) metaphysical about it, but it's a miracle how, and you know what is funny, the more it's, it's a muscle being a songwriter is like developing a muscle because you have all these little synapses in your head. And the more you use them, the more they fire and they make more. Mm -hmm. So you can't just write a song every three years and expect to be a songwriter. That ain't the way it works, Jack. You get in there and you work your tail off. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I will struggle over an and or a but for a ridiculous amount of time. I'm a fast writer. I can't help it. Anybody who knows me has ever written with me knows that I write really fast. I'm a stream of consciousness.
0: Mm.
1: Therefore, I can write three, four songs a day, which is <laughs> cuckoo bird. But <laughs> if, if it calls for it, if it calls for it, if somebody's foot is on my neck, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I can do it. I don't want to do it that way. But I am a fast writer because I use those synopses all the time. And, and when some little thing floats by me in my consciousness, I grab it.
0: See, I like this. This is, (laughs) this, this is what's amazing is that you've been able to have not only success, but in all these different genres, but also like super prolific. So, the last the last artist i want to talk about for this part and and everyone have no fear we're going to be setting up another interview so still send in your questions but i want to talk about agnes release me Now, here's what's amazing, the song... Talk about your in,
1: miracles. <laughs> oh, the,
0: this, this song, I, I got a ton of questions on, and it was number one of the dance club songs, UK dance, Sweden, Turkey, platinum in the US, platinum in Norway, Denmark. And since 2019, it has appeared on over 23 different iTunes charts worldwide. So just in the past four years, it's popped up globally, which is great. I'm going to read off a couple of these questions, uh and then we can just go right into this so John from Berlin can you ask Sharon Vaughn how she got started working with Agnes this is one of the best songs ever made Keith from Scotland the song released me by Agnes has been my gay pride playlist since it came out this song reminds me of great times with my gay friends I lost one of my friends during COVID and I still play this thinking of him and smiling so much can you please thank Sharon and everyone involved who made the song because these are memories I hold dear to my heart it just made so many happy memories and can you ask, how phenomenal is Sharon's voice? Because we know that she sings. We know that she writes. Did she do the demo on this? And can we ever hear it? Pilar from Mexico. This is on my running list. And James, I bought the digital remixes that you told me about. Can you ask Miss Sharon Vaughn, can she sing a little for us? I just love this song so much. It makes me so happy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Aww. That's just
0: that's just a little tidbit of the, the tons of questions we got. I wanted to get a couple of them were like, I try to limit the questions because some of them might be the same thing, but you have people say that that reminds them of their friends who have passed gay pride anthems, songs. So let's rewind. How did you get involved in the, you know, the Agnes world?
1: I am I am either very brave or completely mad as a header because... <laughs> Self-confession time, because honestly, you know, I was like Madam Nashville, you know, for, for years. And in 2000, 2006, I was working a lot in Ireland because I felt myself growing stale. Um, I did kind of didn't like the way things were turning in the music Nashville scene, the bro country stuff. I felt disingenuous, like there's that word again, but I, I didn't feel sincere and, and connected when I started, if I tried to write it. I mean, I can write songs for men all day long. we have proven that. But this was, this was almost like a cartoon Southern boy stuff. And I don't write it because I don't like it. I don't like math and I'm lousy at it. Same thing. so (laughs) so same thing so anyway um I had I knew I've known in my heart of hearts all my life that I would be involved in in in, somehow in Europe live in Europe something so anyway I'm going to shorten the story as much as I can but I I had been running back and forth Okay, I was in Ireland and one day I said, as one does, I think I'll just hire a castle and invite my friends over to come stay for a week and we'll write back and forth, you know, like everybody does. And and, and (laughs) so 13 of my favorite writers came over from Austin and Nashville and London and Ireland and everywhere. So they came to Galway to my castle and um, that I rented for this purpose. And so we wrote together and this guy says, you know, I know these two fellows from Sweden that they would love to come to see, to do this this week and they'll bring their studio, their portable studio. I said, bring it on. So they came, they came and we wrote and they went back to Stockholm and, and the songs we had written, they got cut immediately. And I went, I like this. And so they invited me over and never thinking for a second, probably that I would, take them up on it. And um, so I went over immediately to Stockholm and wrote with them again. And then I met somebody else and somebody else, but they're all professional people. So I was living in New York at the time and, and my, um, my manager said, listen, you're running back and forth to Stockholm all the time. Why don't you just move there? I thought literally about 30 seconds I picked up the phone. I called the embassy in New York, the Swedish embassy, <laughs> and I said, "So, can you tell me how I can be get papers and be a resident of Stockholm?" So they told me, and in three weeks, here I am sitting on the floor of a little twenty-eight square meter flat in the center of Stockholm in a high-rise apartment this old funky apartment building next door to a cathedral with a graveyard in the dead of winter with my dog didn't know a soul personally had bronchitis so I'm sitting there I'm thinking and I looked at my dog and it's just like she said what the hell have you done to us this time it was just like, like you could hear her mouth, see her mouth move, and that's where she said. Well, every night at twelve o'clock, because it was at midnight, I don't know why, we, I guess because it was macabre. But I would go into the that <laughs> graveyard. It was in the middle of the winter, freezing cold, and I had, and I'd walk her um, because it was very safe in Stockholm, and I there were these giant ancient trees. And I and I walked up to to them every night, and I'd put my face against that cold bark and put my arms as far as I could reach around them, And I'd say, "If you can be this from that little acorn, by God, I can do this." Within four months, I had released me was shooting up the charts. It was a hit in 42 countries. Um, And all of a sudden, here I am. I hit Pop writer, (laughs) And that was that. Anders Hansen, uh, I met him actually in Nashville at a coffee shop. And I said, I'm coming over there. And he looked at me like, yeah, okie dokie, and uh, <laughs> and he was really shy about writing with me. But then we wrote Agnes's entire album, and then we wrote another album. We and we've written things for Eurovision and for this and that. And I wrote, I've I've had more songs. That I'm just gonna. This is crazy, but this it springs from this. I've had I've written more lyrics for more songs than any other writer in Eurovision history.
0: I don't think I knew that.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> so it's just, it's just completely mad. It's, but it, but it's my, but I moved there and it could have gone either way, you see. It easily could have just, I could have slid down the rabbit hole, never to be heard from again, and come home with my tail between my legs. But that did not happen. And I wrote for, I've written, had hits in Japan, massive hit. I had, the international song of the year in Japan. I had all this kind of stuff that came from this little acorn. I had a ball, and thank you for indulging me in my... (laughs) I've been told never play poker because I'm a little expressive.
0: (laughs) Sharon, thank you so much for being here today on The Original Doll. We have appreciated everything and everyone once again send in questions at www.originaldoll.com scroll down to the bottom send in questions that you have for Sharon about her work and there are many things coming up to everyone and there are artists that I can I'm not saying the projects or anything but there's a lot of stuff coming out so Sharon thank you so much for being here today on the original doll I appreciate it
1: thank you my dear it's so fun and you're you're such a doll thank you
0: Thank you for listening to The Original Doll. If you enjoyed this, please make sure that you rate and review and tell your friends about this. My name is James Rodriguez. This is The Original Doll. See you on the flip side.